case file number 2.3. Flashback. Observed by Agent Crenshaw. Subject 1, alias Hackalope. Subject has a history of working in computer security for over 20 years. He has been observed to several Fortune 500 companies and federal agencies during that period. He has been amassing historical information related to espionage and covert action as well as corporate malfeasance. Subject 2, alias Emir. Subject has a history of working in computer security for the last 10 years. He has been observed at NASA facilities regularly. We've also tracked him to the gym where he seems to be bodybuilding. We are amassing evidence to charge him with felony for skipping leg day and curls on the squat rack. Subjects are suspected of having information related to hacking the Gibson. Uh, the accounting subdirector the Gibson's working really hard. I think we got a hacker. So, Ymir, remember Strong Bad? Uh, yeah, the, the old cartoon series yeah. with Trogdor? Mm-hmm. Yes, it was amazing. Now, the reason we, I brought up Strong Bad is it was, in fact, email mockery made possible by the power of Flash. <laughs> a subject is Flash, because the story has a conclusion at this point. It's basically dead now. It was killed at the end of 2020. So we can tell more or less its complete story, although we're trying to do it in less than an hour, so it won't be the uh, canonical Encyclopedia Britannica version of the story. Right, yeah. <laughs> Just in case any listeners are like, you missed this thing. It's like, ah! <laughs> These are the highlights we thought of, not the, not the full thing. Yeah, so... In the beginning, Flash started as Shockwave, which started from uh-huh. Macromind, which eventually became Macromedia through a couple of mergers. And it was actually built originally to build computer games. And that's what it was used for in the 90s. The development started in the 80s. In the 90s, uh-huh. point-and-click Macintosh games was a lot of what it was used for. Yeah. Until about 96, when Macromedia released Flash Player. And... And we were both using the internet by that point Uh and became kind of one of the immediate downloads you had in that late 90s period when you started starting to set up a computer. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, I have Internet Explorer. It's time to download Netscape and Flash. (laughs) Yeah. Like, if it was a cool website at that point, like, usually, like, they had at least one little Flash animation going on or something. Yeah. Well, so... It was just basically playing videos and animation and doing a little bit of point-and-click stuff. But Adobe saw the power and acquired Macromedia in 2005. Man, kind of old. Yeah, so like (laughs) my introduction to Flash was um, I think the last version of Macromedia Flash um, before it got bought up by Mm -hmm. Adobe because my background is in digital art and design. So my first degree like had us using all... Also, it's college, so it's like you use like tools that are like four generations older than what actually is out on the market, you know, to get you ready for the market. Yeah. Go figure. If you don't go through the pain that I did. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. I, <laughs> I, had, I had a class in like 2005 that taught straight base HTML coding. Like CSS was a thing at that point. And he was like, no, you got to learn like how I did like back in the day. It's like this isn't pertinent to like how things are done now. More than that, nowadays, a lot of those things don't even work anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Some of our users might be much younger than I or you and have never seen Newgrounds.com. And I was actually just curious because I haven't been there in years. So I was like, is this still up and running? And I'm also curious what all the videos are 
done in nowadays. But New Newgrounds was a ton of fun. I don't think I was ever on Newgrounds. I was definitely definitely saw a bunch of stuff on Ebom's World back in the day. Oh, Ebom stole stole all their stuff from Newgrounds. <laughs> well, okay, then I wasn't as cool as you. <laughs> I know it's hard to believe. Um, but yeah, like uh, I started using Flash back in college, and like that was my first introduction kind of to coding because it has action script. You know, like you can write a bunch of code and like play around. So there's uh, there's a few animations that I I made and like little games and stuff that or somewhere i don't even know where well you can be forgiven for not having the date quite right because between the last release of macromedia and the first release of adobe releasing like a, a full software update was about four years oh okay yeah <laughs> so <laughs> that that could be a very nebulous time because it, it um it was let's say much anticipated when it came out mm. um and there was actually a fair bit of, of criticism because it didn't look polished on the uh, back end at that point in time uh that's about i believe and i actually couldn't get confirmation on this although i didn't spend a ton of time chasing it down one of the things and we're going to get into it in a second was that they had two virtual machines for running flash one was the old one that came out of macromedia and one was the new one that adobe put together and that might have been the release where they had both of those virtual machines in the player hmm, okay so like we were saying, it was, a th it was the thing to have. Mm -hmm. The thing was, a lot of the early video streaming where you'd stream to your browser, there's a lot of in-browser games like the ones you were talking about. Yeah. And they also invented the very first streaming as in bi-directional streaming, the real-time streaming protocol. Okay. Real-time streaming protocol is, 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 what, is what allowed you to stream videos down. But um, as opposed to just being able to play them as a, as a downloaded file. Mm, okay, gotcha. So a lot of the things that we, multimedia things that we take for granted on the internet today were started as things that were implemented in Flash. This was still when I had dial-up. So half the time it was, <laughs> it was better to just download the video anyways and play it like, yeah, you know, than actually stream it. Yes, because you couldn't get the throughput. Yeah. Unlike people like me who already had a career and a DSL line at that point in time. <laughs> Yeah, no, I had dial up with my grandparents and that was it. Yeah. I remember the best gift based on reaction for my girlfriend around that time was actually giving her a year of dial up service. <laughs> um, she was in grad school, so had no money. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. But uh, one of the problems was that in 2007, the iPhone was, was released and there was no flash for the iPhone. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't know. Yeah, no flash for the iPhone. More than that, Steve Jobs actually wrote an open letter called Thoughts on Flash, which was published in 2010, where he said that Flash would never be on the iOS platform Damn. because of reliability, performance, battery life, and security. So basically everything. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, security is kind of a problem. Mm -hmm. I went and I checked the CVE archive. I said... All right, show me everything with a score eight or above in the archive. Going back to about 2007, there were 895 CVEs with a score of eight or better, which means pretty much, well, all of them in my, in my skim, which means at least the vast majority of them, allowed remote code execution. Damn. There were a, a ton of vulnerabilities 
much commented upon Brian Krebs, you know, I didn't grab the exact quote, but something like it's a hack waiting to happen on your, on your system. It's just, uh-huh. just a, a vulnerability waiting there. Um, although there was a sticky point where you had shockwave flash and Adobe flash, which both played flash, but the shockwave one had much, had many more security problems. Uh, and he might have been referring specifically to that one saying, hey, update to Adobe. But right. Adobe had more than its share of problems. In fact, starting about 2008 or so, there was malware embedded in Flash content. Mm-hmm. We saw it on a lot of websites. Um, in fact, several sites that were in the Alexa top 500 websites, New York Times, in the next section where we talk where, where we talk about one of the first defenses, uh, they listed several cider sites in Germany. There was PerezHilton.com got hit by it, where malware embedded in Flash was served up by an ad network or otherwise made it onto the site. Yeah, I remember um, DeviantArt. DeviantArt had a huge issue for a while there because they ran a few Flash advertisements in my girlfriend at the time nuked her entire computer because she went there to like look at some of the art and uh yeah it just infected the hell out of it this is also around the time i think that i learned about like all the extensions for chrome and firefox so like i was loaded up with like adblock plus and no or ghostry and stuff like that oh well did you use no script no ghostry was my my uh my anti-scripting one okay well we'll talk about no script in this in a minute when we get to the when we get to the next section okay First, we're laying out the security problems. So the methods that folks use to secure their action script also were used to obfuscate malware. So basically, all the methods for, for, for making sure that people couldn't deconstruct your flash, right. your commercially produced flash, yeah, that's also how hackers put malware in there. <laughs> there were also a ton of vulnerabilities. Some of those allowed further obfuscation of code. Some of those things allowed for um, various escalations within the environment. Mm-hmm. And between the obfuscation methods and the relative sophistication of antivirus at the time, which relied even more than it does now on patterns, not a lot of flash malware got caught by the standard host protections at the time. Right. This is part of the reason why a lot of modern stuff tries, or at least the enterprise-grade modern stuff, really tries for behavioral-based analysis and sandboxing where they can, and and uh, verifying signatures and stuff because um, of known good binaries. Because pa- straight pattern recognition, which is where we started with antivirus, had its weaknesses, and those weaknesses were laid bare by malware and Flash. Yeah, yeah. And before we get to the defense of those things, I, I uh, it should also note that in about 2009, there was something called flashback, which was malware up uh, masquerading as a flash update. Okay. And it got like a million max. Now, here's the thing about that. That particular method of attack was used as late as 2016. Really? Yeah. Um, flash didn't have until about 2012-ish. Uh, an automa- an auto update feature, so a little bit more reasonable. In fact, their their method, you, their mechanism, you had uninstall Flash and reinstall Flash. Right. Yeah. Uh, couldn't update inline, but even after the inline update mechanism was in place, people got still got nailed by a um, drive by 
malware that was masquerading as a flash update. I'm partially surprised by that, but then not at all. Cause I remember, what was it? I think like just five years ago and even still now, I think it does it is there's a game uh, called payday two on steam and the way it was updating, mm-hmm. it was literally to download the entire game with the new files and then delete the mm-hmm. old game off your hard drive. So you had to have double the space, you know, give or take plus like a few gigs for like the update files and everything. And it was just like, why, why are you doing this? My first instinct is to say that they're lazy, but maybe they had technical problems. Yeah, it's like, it's not our internet connection here. Download, you know, 50 gigs again. Well, even if you're switching files one by one, you still have to uh, download the same amount of stuff. Yeah, but... Although, if all the art assets are remaining the same, it's like, but why? Yeah, yeah, that that was the thing. was like the entire game, even if the files were not changed, like they all came back down. That's brilliant. Yeah. Write a script that, <laughs> that, that does a better job than that in like ten minutes. Um, yeah, yeah, that was my always my thought whenever I played the game. I was like, "Come on, this is crazy." Uh, anyway, so we're in a world where malware embedded in flash advertisements is a thing. It started in about two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and started to really start really pick up in about two thousand ten. This is a problem. TM. Enter. Felix Lindener, known as FX. Uh, he presented this in Black Hat 2010, um, and it was motivated by a project that the German Federal Office for Information Security initiated in about 2008, saying, hey, flash malware is a problem, and it's really hard to detect. Right. So they tried to figure out a way of at least eliminating everything that smelled malicious, leaving you with pretty much safe flash, even if you eliminated some safe flash that was weird. Right. And they wanted to do it in a signatureless way because the stuff mutates pretty fast. And how are you sure that you have all of the mechanisms? So it was more of a, how do I find safe stuff rather than how do I identify malicious stuff? So it ends up being a fairly complicated thing. There's a lot of different kinds of data in a Swift file, potentially. Text, sound, video, images, mm-hmm. vector graphics, yep. and even sometimes executable binary, although this was made not to allow an executable binary. Yeah, I'd forgotten that like, yeah, like when I was making a lot of my games and stuff like that. Like, yeah, you packaged up literally everything. Mm-hmm. Through all, all your vector graphics, everything in there, all the, all the music you're using, just yep. box it up. Yeah, uh, so you have a lot of binary data. You have a lot of different data types. Makes things diff- more difficult to scan for. There are multiple environments for execution. The, what I was talking about, the, the AVM1 and AVM2 system. There's multiple versions of ActionScript. And one of the things that they noticed was that a vast majority of the exploits used malformed Swift files to trigger the vulnerabilities. Now, there's a very complex set of standards for how a Swift file needs to be packaged, where things are supposed to go in the file. Mm-hmm. Thing about that is there's no validation within the player. <laughs> really? That you're actually constructing. Yeah, none. <laughs> none at all. It does not care. It's like, whatever. Exactly. So if you throw it together willy-nilly, it won't tell you, hey, rebuild your file, you're an idiot. Right, right. But the thing is that they noticed was that if you take one that's kind of just built any old way and you 
set it to the standard mm. and it was a non-malicious thing that didn't have any executable code in it, it would usually work. Mm. So they built a tool. This is Blitzableiter, which is, um, and sorry for my German accent, it's non-existent, but Blitzableiter in German means lightning rod. I remember that from what from 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 the presentation, <laughs> but um, that's the glory of German, uh, the German language. Stick yeah, two words together, and I get a new one. Yeah, I actually tried to see everything that that FX has done. I think this is the second talk that I went to from with, with him, and, and anytime he shows up in a con that I'm at, I try and see try and see what he has. Usually, he's actually an infrastructure hacker. Uh, I've seen him do presentations on Cisco stuff and. Also on um, on uh, Hayway equipment. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Um, when he did that stuff, it was it, uh, he was showing that a lot of that a lot of the stuff they were running was on like VX Works and was probably an order of magnitude slower than the equivalent Cisco device or you know yeah. or Juniper or or any of the mainline manufacturers because they yeah. were abstracting everything into uh, VX works, an old version of, of VX works instead of running the binary closer to metal, uh, which mm -hmm. is where Cisco and then the uh, Cisco and a lot of, and all of the other, um, the big infrastructure folks at uh, earlier on had to do because there just wasn't enough cpu to create a virtual a virtual right. abstraction environment for it but um there's that was actually a pretty interesting presentation and why i'm afraid of their stuff regardless of what one believes about their involvement with the chinese government or the pla um anyway back to flash uh, wait that's a different flash um, <laughs> so the tool that they had takes a swift file runs through finds the action script runs through it finds all of the individual pieces and rebuilds it according to the standard okay and throws out anything that that uh that doesn't work and they originally built that so that you could take a piece of flash that some that somebody submitted as an ad run it through blitz of lighter and take the result and put it on your ad network okay and that defeated the vast majority of um, malware that used exploits in, within Flash. Makes sense. Which was pretty cool. And the per reason that they kind of had to do that is there were almost no native security functions within the Flash player. Pretty much the only things you could do from within your Flash player was say, don't let it use my camera, don't let it use my mic. Right. There wasn't a lot more that you could do from there. There were some stricter controls available. They weren't super robust and you had to edit a INI file on your local hard drive for each user. Yeah, I think I remember having to do that. There was no digital signatures or other origin validation mechanisms within within the within the system. And again, didn't perform didn't perform any validation whatsoever of the Swift file structure. So now we have a tool that outputs flash that is not malicious. Might not work, but it's definitely not malicious, or it is. <laughs> Yeah. Pretty much definitely not malicious. So you can use that for ads. Now, wouldn't it be great if you could integrate that into your browser? Right. Turns out you can. Um, or okay. you could. Um, Gregorio Mona, uh, he's the guy who wrote and maintains NoScript, the NoScript plugin for, uh, for Firefox. Mm, okay. What he did was when um, 
So FX asked him, hey, can I integrate this in? How, how, Gregorio said, um, no, we don't do that, but I'll add the feature. And he went ahead and built a mechanism within NoScript to allow an external filter for, um, for, other, for some file types and oh. allowed for integration of Blitzableiter into NoScript. And I actually ran that for several years. Um, and yes, it broke Flash games, like every single one of them. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> but it, it might have been my um, my anti-malware rock. It might have been Blitzableiter. But I never got an, a Flash infection after I started doing that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know like when I was running Ghost Tree, Adblock, Plus, Ublock, and all that stuff. Like Even now, like I go to some sites, and I'm like, wait, where's where's the thing I'm trying to find? It's like, oh, like it's been blocked by one of these. So like, it's just the process of like slowly turning off pieces to like, I see the content I want and then I can leave the website and be like, yeah, go away. No source code. Okay, I'll figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> so Blitzplayer was a cool was a cool tool, but only some people knew about it. It wasn't something that was useful for regular users. And I have no numbers, but I could wouldn't be surprised if not every ad network had this or a similar control to make sure malware did get, get on there. In fact, I'm pretty sure that I didn't do any research on this. I should have, but um, the Forbes problem that they had with their ad network several years back might've might been flash related. So even with this tool, it didn't provide the level of protection for the whole internet. Yeah. So this ended up being something of a problem. There were those all the security problems. There was the fact that it would never be on iOS. So the internet said, streaming video isn't going to go away. How do we fix this? How do we allow for streaming video without Flash? And that's when they started work on what would become HTML5. Okay. And in about 2010, YouTube started putting HTML5, the experimental HTML5, part of its site up. So that's when they, they, they made it public that you could actually use HTML5 and switched entirely by 2015. Most of the internet pretty much followed their lead. Uh -huh. And this is one of the things that we see is that when one ubiquitous thing makes a technological change, people will update to keep up with that and then everybody can easily follow. Yeah, I think it was... Is it 2015, 2016, um, someone for vSphere actually wrote an HTML5 client because vSphere has used Flash mm. literally yeah. ever. And it wasn't until I think just the past two years where they, they canned the Flash version completely because mm. it used to be like, you know, they, they finally, they, they took the guy's uh, code and integrated it into their own. And then mm -hmm. you had the option of doing another Flash or HTML5 because it's VMware. Um, hopefully they never sponsored the podcast. But Flash version had all the features that you were expecting. The HTML5 version, missing some of the key features. Like it didn't even have a general tab where you could go in and edit some of the settings for your vSphere appliance itself or like, like set like the connections for like passwords, uh, password policy, and all, like, all this stuff. And so it's like I, I wanted to use the HTML5 web portal, but I would have to jump back to the Flash portal to do certain tasks because they just didn't exist on the HTML5 one. Yeah, like the buttons weren't even there. 
Yeah, um, I know that a few just a couple of years ago, I was working on uh, McAfee Enterprise Security Manager, what used to be Nitro, and they had a Flash version and an HTML5 version. But and the HTML5 version worked pretty well up until you tried to do things like manage parsing signatures, in which case it would pop up the H, the uh, Flash version, um, and mm -hmm. you couldn't do a lot of the nuts and bolts behind the scenes management. You could be a regular user. But as soon as you needed some of the more in-depth stuff about parsing rules and and um, and other behind-the-scenes kind of management, they had integrated it into HTML5. I haven't had to work with that with that system for for um, for a while, so I don't know if they finished the transition or not. But that's certainly not a thing that's going to keep people from from migrating to uh, Splunk on them or something else or Alien Vault or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, so a lot of the later vulnerabilities were, were found by Project Zero. Project Zero is a Google internally supported project that sponsors a set of security researchers to find zero-day vulnerabilities, not in Google stuff, but across the internet as kind of good netizen kind of effort with putting a experiment to the idea that if we put enough effort into finding zero days, will we be able to reduce the number of zero day attacks that hit the wild? Right. Is it a matter of lack of effort or is this just a sea that never, that can never be emptied? Whether or not that's true, I think is, is, is out there, but I got to say the number of remote code execution, hair on fire events, that I've had to deal with over the last five years seems to be trending downward. Yeah, I mean, I know when it comes to Flash, we basically made a blanket, like, mm -hmm. you just can't have Flash on any of the systems, like at NASA. Like, yeah. And that's been that way for like the longest time. Yeah. Well, Project Zero dealt with a lot of things. We're gonna talk specifically about Flash because uh, Natalie uh, Slavinovich, uh, according to, to the presentation I was looking at at Black Hat, uh, 16, call her Flash Tasha. <laughs> I like it. Because at least at that time, she is the reporter of a third of all Flash vulnerabilities. That's crazy. Yeah. Now she's done other stuff. She's worked on other parts, other things. Uh, Project Zero has come, has found uh, several important vulnerabilities. Apple iOS uh, was, was one of them. Some stuff related to Windows 8.1, some Cloudflare reverse proxy stuff. They were involved in the Spectre Meltdown stuff. Huh. So they've done a lot of important work. <laughs> yeah. But some of what they did is this work in Flash. Now, the presentation that this that a lot of this comes from was a combination of work that was done in Project Zero and a few other um, a few other groups. But there were a startling number of remote code execution vulnerabilities that from 2015 to even not very long before Flash was essentially killed. Um, there were just, you know, vulnerability after vulnerability. There was a lot of memory corruption issues. There's a lot of use after free problems. Um, can you describe a use after free issue? I don't think I've ever heard of the term. Okay, so there's a lot of vulnerabilities in the user after free world. In a lot of ways, they're kind of the next step after 
a um, buffer overflow. Uh-huh. Use after free says if memory gets freed up for something, it can be used again. And if that memory chunk isn't sanitized, just reassigned, if there's executable code in there, in that piece of memory that gets referenced, then right. okay. it's similar to a buffer overflow. It just has to do with kind of forcing the reuse of that memory instead of overflowing into a piece of memory that, that is going to get executed anyway. Okay, yeah, I never actually, uh, I don't think I even learned about that. Like I mean, buffer overflows, obviously, I've yep. researched, but. Well, the last five, maybe seven years, they have been, that's been a pretty profitable area of vulnerability research. Um, a lot of the browser-based vulnerabilities that have been fixed in that period have had a lot to do with use after free uh, vulnerabilities. Okay. It has to do with how big your memory map is, how, uh, how much memory reuse you're, you're going to do. We may actually talk a little bit about use after free at some point, but I think we have a lot of basics to go over before, uh, before we get really deep into, into some of that exploit technique stuff, which frankly, I only understand at a high level. I, I've never been a vulnerability researcher. Yeah, yeah. Like when it comes to buffer overflows, like I've played through, I think like four or five scenarios from uh, the Art of Hacking Volume Two. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of been like, okay, like I, I kind of understand this, but like I, I don't do assembly and I'm not a coder, so it's like having to sit there for like hours and be like, what the, what the freak is this talking about? Which is why we try and keep things at a pretty high level on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so. Just to finish the script up. Um, <laughs> so action script one was more or less, looks like it's more or less stopped being used, but there was a bunch of attacks that had to do with utilizing action script two to avoid a lot of the safety features in action script three. That was, that was the basis of, of a lot of the other problems, but they just kept reporting new vulnerabilities. They would kept, it seemed like an almost infinite well because everything that got fixed there was just more to be found. Hmm. So in 2017, Adobe announced that it was going to end support for Flash at the end of 2020. All the major browsers said, we're on board with that. (laughs) And HTML5 was ready for prime time at that point. So we all ended up making the transition to HTML5 and ending the use of Flash at the end of 2020. And I think the internet's better for it. It enabled a lot of things that we have found uh, a significant part of the internet today. I mean, the internet without streaming today. Yeah. I mean, no YouTube, no Netflix, no no Hulu. Yeah, exactly. Like, would would not work. I mean, I I think back to the beginning of the internet where we waited for text pages to load. Waited for text pages to load or like, you know, Obviously, as a kid or as a teenager looking at porn, yeah. like waiting for the image to load and then half of it loads and your connection cuts out. You're like, come on. Yep. And now we have video conference calls with which have better quality than long distance communication when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. It, it's crazy. Yeah. Hop on your phone, hop on Zoom and like contact a person across the world and it's it, no big deal. Yeah. It, I, it's, it's amazing. And the thing is a lot of the as we said before, a lot of the fundamental building blocks of that started in Flash. So it's hard to discount what it did, but it also came about in a world before we knew a lot of secure coding practices that are important today. 
And back in the day when you, when people really believed that security through obscurity was actually defensive, as soon as it got wide enough spread on the internet, the flaws, the warts became understood and exploited. We're in a better place, but it was an, but it was a very important building block to the internet we have today. Yeah, definitely. And uh, actually, I think that, that, that some of the ideas behind uh, what we got from Blitzableiter are actually really important because the idea of embedded malware in other streams of content is something that I think we're going to see again. I can't tell you where, I can't tell you what's going to make that happen, but it seems like the kind of attack pattern that we're going to see again, because it was the same attack pattern we saw with all of the malware embedded in Adobe Acrobat files. Mm -hmm. Yep. I remember my very first time learning uh, that you could throw malware into PDFs and then using, I forget what the toolkit is on Kali. Mm -hmm. When I was in college, of just making you know reverse shells into the PDFs and sending it to my friends in yeah. college. Oh, reverse shells—they're just the awesomest. <laughs> we thought we were—we thought we were so safe as firewall folks when we started blocking people coming into our network. And yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nothing bad will ever happen. And you can always trust your users. I'm not going to tell any stories, but I have them. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. Anyway. That's the flash. I'll come up with a pithy title before we release it. Recording notes can be found at www.hackingthegibson.online. Follow Hack the Gibbs one on Twitter to get notified of new recordings. Support the continued observation of Hacking the Gibson on Patreon. I just got your reference after a little bit of Flash Gordon, so yes. we got to add. That. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he'll defend everyone. No, <laughs> no.